Today we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm really excited for this passage. Um, I've read this passage for many years. I remember, I guess, being in high school the first time I read it, and it's always meant a lot to me, so I'm, I'm really grateful to be able to, to share it with you all. Um, we're kind of out of the semi-series that was called For the Sake of the Gospel. We had this, you know, being foolish for the sake of the gospel, being uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel, boasting in visions for the sake of the gospel. I only mention them now because we're still kind of in that context. Paul is still in the context of defending himself, but not necessarily directly to the accusers as much as I believe giving a defense to those who believe in him so that they'll have a defense when those in the church that are still accusing Paul continue accusing him. So I feel like Paul is, is helping those who have returned to him. They're submitting to the apostolic authority. They recognize his, his apostleship. He's kind of communicating to them, giving them reasons why he is an apostle, why he's qualified, so that they'll have an excuse. But he doesn't like doing it, very uncomfortable doing it. And today Paul is still discussing the most uncomfortable thing he's ever had to share, it seems like, concerning these dreams and visions he had. So I'm going to read the first five verses again, but today we're going to focus on verses 5 through 10, but I feel like it's good to still get that context. Let's read just verses 1 through 10 before we begin. So 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 1. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a man was caught up to the third heaven, and I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weakness. For if I do not wish to boast, I will not be foolish, or or if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth, but I refrain from this, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses with insults, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us, that you care about us, that you're our children, and that you always want the best for us. Help us to have a big view and a big picture of you this morning that understands all of that, but also addresses this passage honestly. Help us to learn how to be your followers and to know what life looks like when we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this person Paul's talking about who had this vision, went up into the third heaven and saw these things he can't even talk about, that was Paul. Everyone 
understands that, believes that. He says, a man that I know, but then further down, talking about himself, says, God has given me a thorn in the flesh so that I won't boast because of these things. And like I mentioned last week, the reason why Paul doesn't say it was him is the same reason why John, in his gospel, doesn't mention himself by name. What does John call himself in the gospel of John? Yes, the disciple whom Jesus loved or the other disciple, he says one time. It's the same reason why the Luke who wrote Acts doesn't often mention himself by name, but you know he's there when he says, we traveled here. And then he'll say, they traveled to mean he wasn't there. There's a reason why these people didn't often want to mention themselves by name. And it was because they were relating such great things, such phenomenal things that happened when they were there that they felt like they wanted to remove themselves as much as possible from getting any glory or any credit from it. And so Paul here even says, even though this happened to me, I don't even want to admit that it was me. I know a man once this happened too. So instead of saying, it's me, he says, I knew a man once. And the point here that he's making is, even though that happened, God actually gave me a weakness to keep me humble so I wouldn't boast, so I'd rather boast in my weaknesses. And he goes on in verse 6 to say, If I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth, meaning I could boast about this. I could boast about this vision that I had, these things that I saw in the heavenlies. I could brag about that. And it wouldn't be foolish in the sense of it's true, but I refrain from it. So no one will credit me with more than he sees or hears in me. He doesn't want to boast in the exceptional things God's done in him. They would be true, but he refrains. He would rather boast in weakness. Why? Because as we will see, it's in our weakness that God reveals himself to be strong. And those who follow God want to glorify God, not themselves. And I think we really need to learn this lesson. When we get together with others, we often want to put our best foot forward. We're our best outfit. And you're meeting somebody for the first time. Things are going to come up about your past. And you want to kind of mention the things that you think are most impressive. So if I'm in a group of workers, I'm probably going to plug that I'm a partner, not just a worker somewhere. I'm probably going to plug that I'm a senior. You know, we want to have these titles and kind of, and then you begin to sort of put rank. And in the church, it's no different. You know, how long have you been saved? How long have you been in church? What ministries have you been involved in? What's God done in your life? And you may have met people. You may have been this person that you've done this at times because you wanted others to know that you weren't some newbie. You weren't some just recently convert, like you have experience, you've gone through things with God, God has been amazing in your life, and you kind of want people to know that, or you've met those that have stories you can't compete with, and they're always just talking about this and that and what God's done in their life and whatever. Paul didn't do that. He didn't sit around talking about what God had done in his life. He didn't sit around talking about how God had blessed thousands through him, how many hundreds of churches he had planted, how many visions he had. He didn't boast in those things. And we, too, should not boast in those things. We shouldn't try to bring up things from our past just to impress others and try to rank ourselves above them. That would be like Paul says here, giving us credit for more than they're seeing of you. You want people to know you for what's right in front of them, 
Like, this is who I am. This is my personality. This is, this is what I'm doing right now. It's not about all these things in my past that you should be impressed with because for all you know, that stuff happened. And I have a whole lot of baggage after that point till now, and I'm in a bad place now. So Paul's saying, I would rather people see me as I am, and in his, his case, poor, broken, stoned, whatever it was, shipwrecked, and glorify God in him rather than look back on these highlights that he can list off so they all think that he's amazing. So don't try to be known for those things. Rather, try keeping those things to yourself and be known by others in the present for what they see before them. And don't be ashamed to reveal weakness. Let others see you in your current moment with the struggles you have. Let them know how you're currently trusting in God to bring you through whatever you're going through. Don't just mention the last awesome thing that happened to you. So Paul boasts in weakness, because in them God is made strong. And Paul also considers there to be a correlation between weakness and his experience in Christ. And this is also something important to pay attention to. Pay attention to. It's almost as if Paul thinks the greater the experience in Christ, the more God's going to want to keep us humble by things. And so let's look at this next verse together, verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. So, Paul had a thorn in the flesh, and Satan's involved. He calls it a messenger of Satan, but is this just a regular spiritual attack that Paul should just be claiming victory over because Satan's involved? Or is it more than that? In this case, I would say it is a spiritual attack, but God has orchestrated it because God is behind this. Because of Paul's surpassing revelations, there was given to Paul, it was a gift to Paul, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me for the purpose of keeping Paul from exalting himself. So Satan must not realize this because if Satan knew that this torment was keeping Paul from exalting himself, I think he would have stopped because Satan is the father of self-exaltation, is he not? In Isaiah 14, starting in verse 12, talking about Satan, how you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So Satan loves self-exaltation. But this thorn in the flesh, this messenger from Satan, was meant specifically to keep Paul from exalting himself. So it's important to notice that in this case with Paul, God is certainly behind this, using it for his purposes to keep Paul from glorying. It is God who desires to keep us from pride and to keep us humble, because God alone deserves glory in everything, does he not? Any kind of blessing we've received, isn't it only God who should be glorified for that? Is there ever a reason for us to boast 
in our own abilities when we recognize all that God has done for us, all the grace we've been given, how every breath is grace from God that he could take away at any moment, and we would deserve it because of our sin. So in this case, God allowed Satan to torment Paul to keep him from being being proud. And you might have flashbacks to the story of Job. You might remember that Job allowed Satan to torment, or God allowed Satan to torment Job to test his faith. But in this case, it doesn't seem like this situation is to test Paul's faith. Paul doesn't say that. He says, this is for keeping me humble. And in verse 8, Paul says, I implored the Lord three times that it might, my, that it might leave me. And he said to me, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so the power of Christ may dwell in me. You know, we have a tendency to think that every struggle and every weakness is something we must overcome. Any sickness, any bad thing that happens to us, anything keeping us down, we may be tempted to think that's all just the enemy and it's all a hurdle we must overcome. That God always only wants us to overcome every struggle and every weakness. That God always wants us to overcome anything that's difficult. That God never wants us to struggle in any way. That any kind of struggle, any kind of difficulty is an attack. Because God would never want that for us. But in this passage... If we're reading it honestly, we can't avoid the reality that sometimes God has not given us a difficulty just so that we can overcome it. At least not in the way we think we should overcome it. I will clarify that enduring hardship is a means of overcoming. But what I mean is God doesn't only give us difficulty because he wants us to be free of it right then. So we can ask him for whatever the you know, healing or or help or whatever, and he'll do it. The story in our life is not always how we overcome every difficulty. The stark reality in this text is that sometimes God gives us difficulties, specifically not so we can be victorious in that moment, but in order to keep us humble. And furthermore, I think it follows logically from that, the more we walk with God, the more we walk closely with him and seek him and serve him and the more we seek to be used for his glory the more we bless others because of what God's doing in us I think we can expect that God will bring things our way to keep us humble so we don't begin to exalt ourselves in how close we are to God and how long we've walked with God and how God has used us so this is kind of the main thing that I want to say and I'm going to say it a few different times but We need to have a large enough view of God that accounts for all of this because we can believe, like Isaiah says, that by Christ's stripes we are healed and that God is healer and God can heal any sickness, any wound. We can believe that. We can also believe he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We can believe I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can believe all of those things, but at the same time have a big enough view that accounts for the fact that there are going to be times that God will allow us to struggle and he will not remove that from us. And it's not because we didn't have enough faith, but because he wants to keep us humble. 
So don't make the mistake of becoming so entitled in your faith that you think whatever hardship you have, God wants it to go away. So all you got to do is pray enough and he'll do it. Because there may be a different purpose for your hardship. And there might not be. God might want to heal you right now. God might want to fix your situation right now. He can do that. He does it all the time. So don't lack faith in that. At the same time, have a big enough view of God that holds all that as true and you're confident in it, but accounts for the situation where God, like with Paul here, specifically sends him a thorn in the flesh to say, I want to keep you humble. How do we know the difference? How do we know if our current hardship is meant for victory right now or if God's going to let us go through this for the long run to keep us humble? How do we know? I don't think we can. So I think we should take Paul's example and ask God for healing or ask God for victory or ask God to redeem or whatever we're asking him for. We can ask God for that. In Paul's case, he asked three times, but just know that's not normative. That's not prescriptive. We, it's not like we can only ask three times. Paul's not saying that. He did. We could ask 10 times. We could ask 20 times. At some point, if God hasn't answered our prayer, we shouldn't sit around thinking, I guess I don't have enough faith. We should be trusting in a sovereign God who answers prayers all the time with little faith, mustard seed faith. But if he hasn't answered yours, perhaps there's a purpose why you're in that. And for Paul, he had to learn that grace was going to have to be sufficient for him. I think it's interesting that with Paul, God didn't really say no. He just said, my grace is sufficient for you. Oftentimes we think, and there's this joke that me and the kids have about this one preacher we heard that was kind of shouting and going, sometimes God says no. Um, so we, we had this joke, but I don't think God says no. I think God either says yes or here's some grace. That's my opinion. From what Paul's example here, God could have said, yes, I heal you. But instead he said, here's my grace to be sufficient for you. It wasn't just no, good luck, keep going. It was like, here's some grace for you. So what was this thorn in the flesh that Paul mentions? No one knows for sure. Some think it could be something spiritual like doubt or something tormenting him or something emotional like regret. Maybe he regrets persecuting the church and he can't get over that and whatever. Some think it's persecution in general. To me, the most obvious answer is something physical. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. He calls it a weakness. Now, some have said that he may have had some kind of vision problem or some problem with his hands. Because he says things like in Galatians 6, verse 11, he says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Or in 2 Thessalonians 3, 17, This greeting is with my own hand. So maybe he had a problem with writing or he couldn't see that well. But there are different explanations for that. In those times, many people had scribes actually write their letters. And that's why if you compare the Greek with some of Paul's letters, sometimes the grammar is different because maybe a different scribe was the one transcribing it for him. So, and oftentimes he was also co-writing with someone like Timothy, and who knows which one actually did the handwork. So it's, it's all speculation, but I think that it definitely makes the most sense that it would be something physically. Just think of what he's gone through. We read in chapter 11, he mentions how he's been in far more labors, uh, starting in verse 23, far more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death from these beatings. In chapter 11, verse 24, five times I received from the Jews 
39 lashes, three times beaten with rods, once stoned, three times shipwrecked, a night and a day in the deep, in labor and hardship, sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. It seems very likely there would be some kind of long-term damage to those kinds of things. When someone stones you, when you're being stoned in a village, they don't stop till you think you're dead. And he says, I was beaten many times close to death. You can imagine there'd be some long-term effects from that. So it seems like the weakness he would be talking about could be something that happened throughout all of that. But it could be something like a degenerative eye thing. Who knows? Either way, it's called a thorn in the flesh. It's called a weakness. And to me, it sounds like something physical that he asked God to heal him from. And in in this case, God said, grace. So yes, We have to have this view of God that's big enough to believe in him as healer and fixer of any illness or weakness or struggle we'll ever face, but also a view big enough to understand that God will sometimes allow things in our life to keep us humble. And there's two positive sides to this, I think. First, and I hope I can articulate this, if God's allowing struggle in your life is to keep you humble, according to this text, Why would God need to keep you humble in this passage? Not because you're just a proud person, not because he's just mad at you. What what was it in Paul's case that caused God to want to keep him humble? It was that in the text, it was also these visions he had So Paul had tremendous experiences with God. So in this passage, it it tells me that if I am being humbled by God through some struggle, it's either because I've had such tremendous experiences with God that God considers me worthy to be humbled, or it's because, I think this also applies, he has plans to give me a tremendous experience And he wants to keep me humble so I won't boast in that. So the first positive for me is if God is humbling me, I'm excited because that means I'm close to him in some way. Either I've had great experiences I could be proud about, and that's awesome that I'm close to God in that way, or something's coming. So that's the first positive thing. The next positive thing is because, like I said, God doesn't just say no. He says grace, my grace is sufficient for you. It means that when God allows us to struggle... He'll give us grace. The word grace is a heavy, kind of thick, bloated word in the New Testament. It means a lot of things. We, you know, we've, said, we've heard it said it's unmerited favor or it's getting what you don't deserve. You can get the idea of God looking down on us and just showering us with favor, with delight, with love. That's what grace is. We're saved by grace, Ephesians 2 verse 8. We're saved through grace, Acts 15, 11. But grace is also used to refer to divine ability. You catch that? The word grace is often used to describe divine ability. For example, in Luke 2 verse 40, talking about Jesus, it said, the grace of God was upon him. And in Romans 12 verse 3, Paul says, Through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, 
not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Then in verse 6, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So God will give grace specific to a person to give them the gifts and the abilities to accomplish what he has for them. And that's also called grace. So grace is not just in terms of salvation, we're saved by grace and all that, but grace is also what God gives us in terms of divine ability to accomplish our task. And so if God has humbled you by giving you some struggle and he hasn't let you be victorious yet, Maybe he will keep praying for that, but if he hasn't, what he will give you instead is grace. Grace to continue to persevere to accomplish that mission still. And so he says, I would rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. All right, so verse 10 is our conclusion. He says, therefore, I'm well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Sometimes it's hard to accept that God may not want to remove some thorn in our flesh for some weakness we have, whatever that may be. It might be hard to accept that. And this is what I mean about having a, a view of God that's big enough to hold all these things together, to believe that God can and will and does always, often, so often, heal and fix and rescue and provide, that that is who God is. An active and interactive God who can do that, but have a view of God that's big enough that understands there are going to be times when he does not do that, at least not immediately, to allow us to go through things in order to keep us humble. And the neat result of that is, verse 10, that results in contentment. Paul's content in these hardships he's had, this ongoing struggle he has, this ongoing thorn in the flesh. He's content in that weakness. He's also content in insults and in distress and persecution. He's learned that Christ is strong when he's weak. And so he asks God for help and he asks God for healing. And when God gives him grace instead, he's learned to hold on to that grace and trust God through the struggle. And God's strength shines through this, and so he's content. And we too can learn to be content if we learn these things, and that's a good thing. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. It's good to be content. It's good to be satisfied in him. It's good to be content with what God has given us, to be content with the grace God has given us. It's a good thing. And if we recognize that, we will not always have the answer to our prayer in the present. But if we don't, that is for a reason. If we recognize that and recognize God is giving us grace in the meantime to, to help us through that, we can be content. We can trust in Him.